Good morning and welcome to the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for today, Monday, November 28th. I am the chair of the committee, Aaron Peskin, joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Raphael Mandelman and committee member Supervisor Connie Chan. Our clerk is Mr. Victor Young. Mr. Young, do you have any announcements? Yes, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those intending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call in line uh, number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2488-527-4429, then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussion, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. Where item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone line should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you are on the telephone, please remember to turn down your television and other listening devices you may be using. As already indicated, we will be taking public comment from those attending in person first, and then we will go to public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Rules Committee Clerk, at victor.young at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included in the file. You may also send written comments to, via U.S. mail to our office at City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlson B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. That completes my initial comments. Thank you, Mr. Young. Could you please read the first of two items? Yes, item number one is a resolution updating the proposed designations of agencies qualified to participate in the 2022 annual joint fundraising drive for officers and employees of the city and county in San Francisco. I believe there is a request that this matter be sent out as a committee report. That is correct. Uh, we will go to Supervisor Mandelman, who is the sponsor of this item. Supervisor. Thank you, Chair Peskin. Um, the city's heart of San Francisco Combined Charities Drive is an annual drive that provides a streamlined way for city employees to contribute to the charities of their choice through bi-weekly payroll deductions. It also allows many charities to bypass costly direct solicitation and outreach to the pool of city and county employees. It's a long-standing city program intended to support philanthropic endeavors by our employees. As we do each year, we, as the Board of Supervisors, approved a resolution this past spring that accepted five federations, each with a list of participating charities, as part of the San Francisco campaign. However, less than two weeks after this year's campaign was launched on October 1st, uh, we learned that among the many charities represented by the federations that partner with the city on the campaign, there are several that appear to be anti-LGBTQ um, groups. Um, this was brought to my attention by city staff who expressed profound concern that city resources are being spent amplifying those groups. And although I understand that this campaign includes a range of charities and also provides an option for city employees to donate to any 501c3 nonprofit of their choice, I and others have been troubled to have the city seeming to be promoting anti-LGBT groups using city resources. 
When alerted to the issue, the city administrator's office immediately paused the campaign to consider next steps. The resolution before you today proposes a temporary solution that allows us to relaunch the campaign for this year with a much shorter and targeted list of participating charities with a clear focus on supporting Bay Area-based service providers. City employees will continue to have the opportunity to write in the name of any charity or nonprofit they would like to support, but the lists published by the city in support of the campaign will be shorter and focused on Bay Area-based organizations. Um, this is a temporary and imperfect solution that allows us to relaunch the campaign for this year in accordance with the requirements of the Ad administrative code. Uh, we do need to come up with a more permanent solution and to do that, I think we're uh, gonna need to consider a more comprehensive update to the language of the administrative code. I would hope that we do that early in the new year so that we have plenty of time to make any appropriate changes to lay the groundwork for future efforts. Um, I want to thank uh, our city administrator, Carmen Chu, and um, Sophie Hayward, the legislative and policy and public affairs director with the city administrator's office, who um, have spent a lot of time and done a lot of brain damage trying to um, figure out how this program should be structured going forward and what we should do about the current, um, the current year's program. Or, um, and so I would like to, after um, my colleagues have a chance to speak, invite um, uh, Ms. Hayward to come up and uh, provide additional um, uh, details on uh, the proposal. Thanks. Ms. Hayward, come on up and appreciate your work on this, although it has implicated a larger policy conversation about, and maybe today is not the day for it, but thought we could use this as an opportunity to discuss uh, the entire combined charities program and its utility, uh, its history, and its future uh, in an age where donations facilitated by the internet um, have become a lot easier. Uh, so I wanted to have the broader, I'm totally prepared to vote for this and appreciate Supervisor Mandelman and your office's work on this, um, but also am fundamentally questioning whether or not we want to devote what I understand to be more than a full-time equivalent staff, more like two, to a ongoing program in an environment where charitable giving by people in general and city employees in particular is, has m many less barriers these days. Um, and so I, I lean towards maybe starting a conversation to excise this function from our government in toto. Um, so maybe you want to comment on that as well as the specifics of the resolution before us. Oh, Supervisor Chan, sorry, I'm not looking at the screen. My apologies. No problem. Thank you, Chair Peskin. I concur with your sentiments about uh, while this has been a longtime tradition of San Francisco, it is time to revamp this program. I think that there are good example like um, what SIPUC has been really working on like the social impact program that they have established a database for us to give um, uh, in partnership and then also I think that existing um, 
actually another program that we have, like Give to SF, also in need of revamp. So perhaps that it is time for us to start that conversation and what does that look like um, for the entire city, uh, both as a government, but also for our workers to give. Um, and I just also want to thank uh, Supervisor Mandelman for taking this on um, and would like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Peskin. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. And of course, thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. I do have a presentation today. Um, and with your comments in mind, I just want to note that the presentation gives an overview of the program and some of the history. So that might lay the groundwork for that broader conversation. Um, I'm also joined today virtually by Deputy City Administrator Jennifer Johnson and my colleague Angela Yip. And Angela has the presentation ready to share, so I have no idea how to make that happen, but I'm hoping it will. Good morning, oh. Ms. Yip and Ms. Johnson. Good Thank you. Hi. Um, I, my name is Sophie Hayward. I am the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for City Administrator Carmen Chu. Thanks so much for the opportunity to present this morning. I will be brief, but I will give an overview. Uh, what I want to do is sort of set the parameters of what exists in the administrative code, give you um, an idea of the process, how it works, and some of the data to date. And, and then I do want to propose what we consider a temporary solution that would allow us to relaunch the program for this year in accordance with the requirements of the admin code, but then plant the seed of ideas that we could act on potentially with your partnership uh, in early in the new year. Um, so going to slide one, please. Uh, Administrative Code Section 16.93 defines the structure of the program. First and foremost, it requires that we have an annual campaign. That's why we are working quickly to come up with a way to relaunch it in an acceptable way for this year. Um, the specific language says each year the city and county of San Francisco shall hold an annual joint fundraising drive. There's no may in there. It also defines which federations, and federations are groups uh, that represent a large group of charities, um, which federations can participate. And again, here the language is clear in the code. Any federation that meets the criteria defined in the admin code may participate. Those criteria were created in 1988 and last updated in 1997. Uh, and then it goes on to define the roles and responsibilities and, and timeline for the campaign. So the mayor designates an annual campaign chair. The controller provides back-end support for the payroll deductions, as well as for processing any individual checks that employees give. The city administrator reviews applications and makes recommendations to the Board of Supervisors for your approval of which federations meet the criteria. And then in addition to those named roles in the admin code, the work of the campaign chairs is significant. Right now it's the sheriff's department and the airport, and they work together to administer the program. And then sprinkled throughout the city in every city department, there's a campaign captain who motivates staff and encourages them to participate. So next up, um, on the next slide, um, we just have the specific criteria included in the admin code. It's the rule of our office, the city administrator's office, to review applications from federations that apply to make sure that they meet the criteria. But as you can see, there's not an opportunity to screen for what types of services any of the participating charities provide or who they support. These are pretty broad criteria. Essentially, are they a 501c3? Have they submitted it, audited? audited financial statements, have they been exist in existence for at least a year, and then our little opening here for changes for this year, um, 
at least half of them have to be located in the Bay Area. In addition, I want to stress, and I will stress it several times today, that in, in addition to the federations included in the campaign, city employees can always write in the name of any 501c3 nonprofit that they wish to directly support through the donor's choice option. So you're not limited to just the charities included through the federations. On the next slide, I'm going to guess I can skip this. This is just um, the, the process by which um, the recommendations make their way here to the Board of Supervisors. Um, federations do have to apply every year. City Administrator's Office reviews those applications. We forward a recommendation to you. So in the next slide, I want to give you just a quick snapshot of the participation in the campaign, as well as the city resources uh, involved in administering it. So approximately 10% of city employees participate each year. And they raised just over a million dollars last year. I think it was $1.2 million. Um, and city staff partner with the lead federations to administer the program. So on the city side, at the front end, the Board of Supervisors and the City Administrator's Office are involved in designating the um, participating federations. The Office of the Controller establishes and implements payroll deductions and processes individual checks. And then the Sheriff's Department, airport, and then captains throughout departments citywide um, work on the ground game of motivating employees to join and participate. Um, on the next slide, let's see here. Yes, uh, as you know, and as Supervisor Mandelman noted, thank you, uh, we had launched this year's campaign on October 1st as planned, and then we paused the campaign on October 12th after receiving complaints from city employees. But this prompted an evaluation of the whole program and brings us really to where we are today. Um, so on the next slide, oh, here we go. Uh, we clearly have no mechanism by which to screen individual charities that can participate, and I'm not even sure that that would be possible or appropriate. Um, in most circumstances, it's hard to make a clear distinction as to what charity uh, city employees should or shouldn't support. So the resolution before you today proposes to strengthen the existing geographic requirement that is in the admin code by uh, instead of focusing on the fact that at least half of any federation's charities be located in the Bay Area, we are uh, expanding that or narrowing it, I guess, to say that all uh, participating charities should be based or located in the Bay Area and that any funds raised through the campaign be spent on services in the Bay Area. And then uh, lastly, although it's not in the resolution, uh, I also want to note that the federations themselves have opted to further require that any participating charity sign on to a non-discrimination pledge in order to be included in this campaign. Um, and again, I will say that city employees would retain the ability to write in the name of any of their own uh, preferred 501c3 to donate to directly through the donor's choice option. So on the next slide, the results. Um, let's see. The number of participating federations is reduced from four to three. So Creating Healthy Communities, America's Best Local Charities, and Earthshare would be the three federations that we would partner with. And I've provided to you and to the clerk the updated lists of the charities that are a part of each of those federations. It's a much shorter list than we had before. Um, what this also means, though, is that the federation global impact, we lose. 
because this is a federation that, as its name suggests, represents charities that are largely focused on international activities. And that's a loss. I want to highlight that. So another item that we've distributed to you and that I've given to the clerk is a separate appeal from Global Impact for you to consider um, whether or not there's a way to somehow loop them back in. Um, and then, depending on how the resolution goes today, we can relaunch the campaign for the coming year. We will likely have to start payroll deductions slightly later because we need to give enough time for the controller's office uh, to set up deductions, but we can, we can get it done by the end of this year. Um, and then next slide. Again, this is the temporary solution that I've just outlined. I wanted to sort of plant the seed of what you could consider uh, for amending the language of the admin code, which would take an ordinance, not a resolution, so a little bit more time. So three options to consider. One, I think that um, you could certainly amend the criteria defined in the admin code in any way that you feel appropriate so that uh, organizations could be screened a little bit more tightly. I would note that is probably not the preferable solution from our end because I'm not exactly sure how or who would screen all of the various charities and what kind of um, parameters we would set up there. Um, the next is that you could consider an ordinance that amends the code to limit participation, and this touches a little bit on what Supervisor Chan was suggesting, to named funds that are already associated with the city, for example, give to SF, and give employees, you know, would continue to have the ability to name any uh, 501c3 that they want to directly support. That would certainly narrow um, the groups that we as a city amplify. And if that is the concern, I think this could get to that. And then lastly, to um, the point that perhaps Chair Peskin was making, you certainly have the opportunity to consider an ordinance that would eliminate the program entirely, and that could perhaps um, acknowledge that the universe of giving has certainly changed since 1988 slash 1997. It's probably easier to set up recurring donations now than it was then, though I will say another benefit of the program that I don't want to ignore is that some of these smaller charities do not have to spend dollars on direct outreach to reach the pool of 30,000 city employees. Um, that concludes my overview presentation. I'm available for questions. You can see Deputy City Administrator Johnston is available for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hayward. And that last slide, I think, does display the universe. And I, I, I have not come to any hard, fast conclusions. I just wanted to actually have that conversation. I mean, option number two also, I think, has merit, uh, as is option number three. I guess my question would be how, what are the next steps beyond what we're doing today and the board will presumably vote on tomorrow. Um, and I think time is our friend here because uh, this, any code changes that we make presumably would not be applicable until the next cycle, right? That's correct. So time is kind of our friend, but I, I uh, went over the slide very quickly that had our sort of campaign timeline. And by March 1st of every year, the admin code um, requires that applications from federations be submitted. And then I believe it's a date in April whereby, maybe it's May 1st, the board uh, is supposed to approve the participating federations. So just thinking through the legislative timeline there, 
we certainly can fix this for next year, but we should hit the ground running, I would so say, in January. So something would have to be introduced before the end of this year or early in January in order to be law by the March deadline. And we're certainly happy to partner with you on that to make sure it happens. All right. Well, that's a conversation I'm happy to have. I can't have it with Supervisor Mandelman as long as the two of us are on this committee. <laughs> but I'm happy to follow someone's lead and for what it's worth, I think options two or three are the right ones to explore. I would throw out there a couple of next step suggestions. One is how much does this cost us? And do we, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sometimes happy to spend money to make money. Um, so, I mean, that's, but it's a data point that I think we should be interested in. And two, and I don't want to create work for anybody, but what does the universe of approximately 3,000 people that take these think? I don't know if we have a simple, relatively easy way of serving them, but that might be of some utility. So those are my two thoughts for the ongoing conversation. I'm happy to um, participate in whatever way is most expedient without stepping on anybody's toes. That's it for me, Supervisor Mandelman. Thank you, uh, Chair Peskin. Um, can we look at that slide again, the one that has our three options? Sure. Going forward. I don't know how to get it for you, though. <laughs> Ms. Yip. If you could go to the options slide, that would be great. Oh, thank Bingo. you. Well done. Um, I mean, based, based on the comments of colleagues, it seems like, well, I, I haven't said anything, but I, I agree that trying to keep the, trying to sort of tinker with the current program and put guardrails on it going for that just seems like a ton of brain damage and not worth trying to do. So I'll be the third person on this body to say that option, that the first bullet on there seems like a non-starter and we shouldn't be trying to do that. Um, in trying to understand, and it, and it seems like, and I, and I would share the sense that the third bullet may be the, it's certainly the simplest. Um, the concern, I think, for me about going with the third bullet rather than trying to at least explore the second bullet um, is that there are these 3,000 people who do currently use um, and, and believe that, the, and are, are using and presumably liking some aspect of the current program. So I'm wondering how much of that, um, that uh, demand could be met with a second bullet. And, I, and the other thing that is appealing about the second bullet is, um, I do think it is good to encourage city employees to, to, contrib to make charitable contributions, um, and particularly to things that are priorities that the city is otherwise trying to advance, and maybe some you know, funds like give to SF, if there's a relatively simple and cost-effective and efficient way of making it easier for city employees to do that, and if some number of those 3,000 folks would appreciate that option, I would be interested in trying to give it to them, but not if it's gonna mean a ton of work for uh, a city administrator's office that we have a lot of other priorities for. So, I don't know, do you have any preliminary sense of that and, and, and to sort of respond to Chair Peskin's question, do you have any thoughts on how we would get feedback from city employees on, on this? Well, I, I have 
two thoughts. One, to address the city employees who participate enthusiastically in the program. We did receive complaints this year, but we also received a lot of emails in support of the program, so I do want to acknowledge that as well. Um, the ex and then to your second point about sort of cost and how to make this efficient, the administrative code also prescribes, I believe, um, a, uh, a percentage of each donation um, that the city holds on to. The, the, we could look, I would say, more comprehensively at the entire section of the admin code that deals with this section to build in ways to make it more efficient. Perhaps it is not efficient any longer to accept individual checks, rather just focus on the payroll deduction, for example. I think that is probably the benefit to any charity anyway, is that employees feel like they can give more if you spread it out over 26 pay periods. Um, and I would just have to guess that processing individual checks is more labor intensive, for example. Um, but that actually makes me think that there are probably other aspects of the admin code that I didn't focus on today related to this program that could be overhauled just through the lens of efficiency and cost effectiveness. Well, you got three supervisors up here who are interested in this conversation. Okay. None of us probably feel particular ownership over this. It sounds like you all can, <laughs> can do some work to come up with something somewhere between bullet two and bullet three, and any of us are happy to uh, probably lead sponsor and the others would probably co-sponsor, so. Thank you for your patience and your support and through this. Thank you for all of your work on this. Supervisor Chan. Uh, Ms. Johnson, anything you wanna add or subtract? No, thank you. All right, is there any public comment on this item? <clears throat> Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-527-4429, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And that'll be your cue to begin your public comment. There's nobody in the room for public comment. And just checking online, there's nobody online for public comment on this matter. All right, public comment is closed. Supervisor Mandelman, would you like to make a motion? Uh, yes, I'll move that we forward this to the full board with positive recommendation as a committee report. On that motion, a roll call, please. Yes, on that motion to recommend the matter as a committee report. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Next on the agenda is item number two, ordinance amending the administrative code to permit members of the San Francisco Employees Retirement System to designate special needs trusts as retirement beneficiaries in certain circumstances and to specify requirements for those trusts. Supervisor Safai is the lead sponsor of this measure and a member of the retirement board. Supervisor Safai, welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, colleagues. Uh, colleagues, today I'm presenting legislation to change the administrative code uh, to allow for special needs trusts as retirement beneficiaries. I will give a brief overview of the legislation and then turn it over to the staff at the retirement system to elaborate further. 
Um, as the president of the retirement system, we have a responsibility to our members to update the rules and regulations when it's necessary. Uh, last year, a member who was planning their estate pointed out that they would not be able to leave their survivor annuity to their surviving member of their family unless it was allowed to be deposited in a supplemental or special needs trust. This is because survivor annuity recovered by adults with disabilities can cause disastrous unintended consequences to their benefits that they're currently receiving. For individuals due to their disabilities uh, rely on public needs-based benefits such as SSI, supplemental security income, Medi-Cal, in-home supportive services, Section 8 housing and more, uh, direct receipt of this monthly income can result in a com complete loss of these uh, benefits. This could mean a loss or barrier to affordable housing, health care, personal attendant care, community supportive services per for persons with developmental disabilities, and many more items and things. Allowing for survivor annuity to be placed in a special needs trust or supplemental needs trust would solve this problem. It is form of trust that is recognized by both the Social Security Administration and the Department, California Department of Healthcare Services as a vehicle for holding and managing funds for the benefit of a person with disabilities where they are not, would not interfere with their eligibility uh, for other benefits. This has already been done in the California State Teachers Retirement System and the UC Retirement Plan and at the U.S. Department of Defense and many other places around the country. Um, in addition, and this is uh, an important update as well, the code has not been changed since 1983 and does not reflect a, a gender neutral terms uh, that uh, we use today. So we would be making a much needed changes to the code to reflect the diverse city employees that we have in our workforce today. Um, we have Cecilia Mangoba, Karen Bortnick, and our new CEO-CIO as well, Allison Romano, here from SFERS to elaborate further on the legislation. Uh, before I hand it over to them, I, I want to thank Richard Halstead and Annette Overby. Annette is the is a current beneficiary who's advocated on behalf of her uh, family member um, so that their son would be able to be able to benefit from this uh, in the future. And so thank you to them for bringing this to our attention. I'll hand it over, if it's through the chair, I'll hand it over to the Sfer's uh, representation here today. I think that's Karen Bortnick. Good morning. Good morning, Supervisors. Thank you for inviting us here. I'm not sure I can add much more than what Supervisor Safai has already told you, um, but I can tell you a little bit how this proposed ordinance would work. When a member comes to retire, they do have an option to name an individual who can receive a monthly annuity after their death. However, as Supervisor Safahi has told you, that if they name a dependent adult child to receive that monthly annuity at the time of their death, that may impact their ability to uh, receive public benefits. This special needs trust will allow them to receive the benefits with, without losing their ability to get these, uh, these benefits, these public benefits from the federal government and the state government. So the way it would work, someone would come into retirement, they would tell us that they wanted to select an option, and that's what we call them, you have one of three options, and they would want to name the trust rather than the dependent child. 
As it stands now, you cannot name a trust to receive a monthly benefit because there is a very fundamental retirement rule that a benefit must be definitely determinable. You have to know when it starts. You have to know when it ends. If you have a trust, it could, in theory, last forever, and um, that would violate the rule. In this particular case, as drafted as we understand it, it will put the burden of ensuring that the benefit will stop at the death of the recipient on the member and the trustee, which simplifies things for SFERS because uh, the other plans who, that have this have a very difficult burden of tracking and making sure that when the recipient dies that they learn about it so that they can cut off the benefit. As I, as I said, as drafted, it will impose all of those obligations on the member, one, to ensure that the trust that they're designating meets all of the legal requirements. We don't have to do any analysis. We don't, we don't have to ensure that it's a proper special needs trust. And then again, at the time of the member's death, the trustee steps in and again affirms that this is a proper trust. At the death of the recipient, the beneficiary, the trustee steps in again and has the obligation to inform us and the trust would have to reimburse us for any overpayment. So as drafted, SFERS can, we can implement that. I can't tell you how, what the cost would be because it's really hard for us to estimate how many people will be qualified for this, but I have to say that I would think as drafted, it would be a very small number of people. And again, because the principal burden is placed on the member and the trustee, there, would, there should not be anything but a, a minimal expense to SFERS. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you for that presentation, and thank you, Supervisor Safai. This seems uh, like a straightforward tweak and sensible. Are there any members of the public who would like to testify on this item number two? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should like to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 Enter the meeting ID of 2488-527-4429, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your queue to begin your comment. There is nobody in the room for public comment at this time. And just double-checking, there is nobody in line for public comment at this time. Two for two. Public comment is closed. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, Chair Peskin. I want to thank Supervisor Safai for your work on this. I have a little bit of familiarity with special needs trusts, having set one up for my mother after my grandmother's death. Um, they um, can be very, very helpful when uh, someone uh, with significant disabilities uh, uh, has, you know, has access to other assets. Um, and I think that uh, this just does make a ton of sense. I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor, and um, I'm happy to support it today. All right. So with that, yeah. Supervisor Safai. I also I also want to thank uh, NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, for writing their letter of support and pointing out the importance of this. Uh, so I want to thank Ann Fisher, the executive director, for reaching out to us and working with us. I know it's taken some time. It's been about a year. 
uh, that this has been sitting. So I, I want to thank the family and again, Annette and her family and uh, for their patience. And I want to thank the staff at uh, the Spurs, uh, Karen, uh, uh, Allison, and team, and our city attorney for working on this uh, to get this right. So thank you very much. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you, Supervisor. Thank you to the retirement system. And with that, I will make a motion to send this item to the full board with a positive recommendation on that motion. Mr. Young, a roll call, please. Yes, on the motion to recommend the matter. Supervisor Chen. Aye. Chen, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. And we are adjourned.